great to see everyone. I see everybody's uh, getting used to coming back. Even people from Texas are here coming back. I guess COVID is, no, I'm kidding. It has nothing to do with that. But so I lean this morning in the family. So great to see you. Um, and welcome everyone, whether you are here for the first time or you've been here many times or have been here for decades. Uh, we just hope that every Sunday morning will be a fresh opportunity for all of us to experience God in a, in a special way, to be able to come and sing these songs unto him who is worthy, and then for us to be able to spend some time in his word, I think is a very special thing. So I'm excited to do that this morning, and I'm glad to be here with you. For those joining us online, we again welcome you. We're happy to have you guys joining us online, but we highly encourage you as soon as you're able. Uh, we would love to have you here, and uh, I can't wait to have this place filled up again and, and beyond that. So uh, we're, we're glad to have you, but um, please consider joining us online when you are set to go. Um, I want to make a couple of announcements, and I'll try to do that uh, quickly. And I'll start with the fact that growth groups are starting next week. So February 6th will be the first day that uh, we'll start our growth group. So, uh, for example, Luis Robles' group will start in a week from today. That, that group meets in person here from 10.30, 11.30. And I just want to remind you there's about seven options for you to be part of a growth group. We highly, highly encourage you to join one. Um, uh, we're, we're hoping to keep the same groups that we're uh, in place last trimester, unless you need to change for whatever reason, if your schedule has changed. Otherwise, we want to keep the same groups and give us an opportunity to further get to know each other and just kind of live life together. That's the goal, that we would grow as family, as brothers and sisters onto Christ-likeness, um, as we ask questions, as we hold each other accountable and just experience life together as, as Christians. Let's not buy into the lie of the enemy that what this world offers us is what has to be. And by that I mean this kind of everybody in a hurry, nobody has time for anything, everybody's exhausted, you know, put God at the end. We need to learn to make God the priority of our lives. And so Sunday morning worship service is one way to do that. But then during the week with the growth group, setting that time aside and saying, yeah, I got to work and yeah, I have school and yeah, I have kids and I have all these other things, but God is my priority. I'm going to sign up for a group, and I'm going to really give it my all to, to really engage with other people and grow because that's what it's all about. And as we grow, we become more fruitful in God's kingdom, and that's how we want to live as Christians. So I want to highly encourage you to do that. I think there's three groups that are online to meet those needs, and then four groups meet in person during the week, different times. If you go to crosspointchristianchurch.com, you'll see all the information there under growth groups. Take a look. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me or any of our growth group leaders. But, uh, you know, I know most of you were waiting to the last minute while we're here because they started one week, all right? Really appreciate you guys signing up. And if you have any questions or if you need any help with, with signing up, I know I signed up one person this morning who needed some help, so it's super easy. And uh, just let us know. We can help you out with that as well. Excited about our growth groups. You know, our growth groups is one way that we, that we attempt to measure the health of our church. I'll tell you that. Uh, if we have 100 people coming to church every Sunday and only 20 people are in growth groups, that would, that would be a cause for us to be slightly alarmed and really take a look at what's going on. If we have 100 people attending church, uh, which we do, we have about 100 and maybe right now, it's hard to say with online. But let's say we have 100 people attending church regularly uh, and we have... 
80, 90, or even 100 people signed up for growth groups, that's a really good sign. Um, and so it, it doesn't tell us everything, but it tells us something very important. All right, so again, I just want to highly encourage you to sign up for a growth group. And if you have any questions, see us. My Safe Harbor is a wonderful organization based out of Anaheim that deals with empowering and helping and introducing people to the Lord, uh, especially women, but families. And that is one of the ministries that we collaborate with. We're happy to do so. We're excited to continue that collaboration this year. Uh, this coming, I don't have the info, but I don't need to because all of you received the newsletter last night and in there has all the information. We're looking for volunteers to help go on, Wednesday, on a Wednesday. I know it's a Wednesday during the day. So I know that kind of leaves a lot of us out. But if you're able to go and volunteer, they're going to have a, a get-together. And we have an opportunity to volunteer, set up, clean up, serving. Just uh, be part of that, that, uh, that ministry. So take a look online. The information is on there, especially our newsletter from last night. I know it's, it's there. But see Jan Doolittle if you have any questions. And um, I hope we get a good group of maybe six to eight six to ten people that, that can uh, make it out there, and it'll be uh, very encouraging to them to see us, you know, getting involved in supporting what they do. For I, I look out here, I'm thinking, all these athletic-looking people, uh, this hasn't, I haven't, I'm not sure if I've seen this, but we're going to have a 5K run, 5K, um, or walk, in my case, probably. Mm -hmm or crawl, I'm not sure what that's going to be. But if, if that's all, that's, I'm just going to throw it out there so that you can start your training, all right? And we are going to have it be a bit of a fundraiser to go towards benefiting our youth group and our food distribution on Thursdays for our community. Uh, so I think it's a fun thing. Some of our young adults are uh, setting that up. So as soon as we have all the final information, we're working with the city of Whittier to make sure we make it all official. But we're looking forward to it. And uh, I'm just letting you know I started my training already. I know Turbo here is laughing at that, but uh, uh, he's, he's, he's a runner. And, uh, but we're looking forward to that. I think it'll be a fun event. Kind of encourage everybody to, to get some running done. And, uh, and then a great opportunity to invite people that maybe otherwise wouldn't take, uh, take an invitation to go to church. They might accept an invitation to do a 5K walk, and then they'll get to meet all of you lovely people and maybe get encouraged to join us and come to church. We'll see. But we'll give you more information on that. That's it. Uh, as you walked in, you should have uh, received the elements to take communion if you want to do so with us. We want to take communion and uh, make remembrance of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, did for us some 2,000 years ago. And to, to get us ready for that, I want to share with you Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Galatians 2, 16. The Apostle Paul writes this, and as all Scripture, this is a very, very important verse. Galatians 2, 16 says, Knowing that a man or a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Kind of a long verse, but it's kind of repeating itself. 
It's basically saying through the works of the law, no person, no person can or will be justified. Only faith in Jesus Christ. Now, for those of you that maybe have grown up in church or are well familiar with Scripture, you're probably thinking like, yeah, of course. But I would, I would love for us to, to think about the fact that most people in this planet do not understand or adhere or believe or accept this truth. In fact, most religions, if not all, and I would say I don't consider myself religious. Every once in a while, I meet somebody and they get to know me a little bit and they kind of see that I'm... You know, church and faith is a big part of my church, my, my, my life. And inevitably, they'll ask, like, you're a very religious person, aren't you? And I kind of cringe at that. I'm thinking, like, no, I don't really consider myself religious. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, with God, my creator. I'm a person of faith. But I, religion, per se, uh, as we know it in the world, is not something that I would say I subscribe to. So I don't consider myself a religious person. But religion is all over this planet. There's tons of religions. And most religions can be boiled down to the fact that it, the idea is that you, through the teachings of your religion, can get to God. Or you can earn your salvation. If you just follow your religion's teachings, then you have a good shot at, at the end, you know, get a thumbs up from God, whoever he is. So religion can be thought of as man's efforts to reach God. And Christianity is different. Christianity is all about God's efforts to reach man. It's quite the opposite. And it's a very big difference. And here Paul is stating clearly that by the works of the law, no matter how good you behave, no matter how much you stop doing bad things, you will never be good enough to earn justification or salvation or forgiveness of sins. And that's really important. So I'll read it again. Knowing that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. The idea that anybody can make it to heaven outside of what, of what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross is really blasphemous. And it's a lie from hell. Because then we would be saying that what Jesus did at the cross is just an option. You could either believe in him and trust him for salvation, or you can be a really good person and earn it yourself. And God would say, that's not the way it works. Through the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. No one will get to heaven and say, look at me, I made it. Thanks to my goodness and my intellect and my knowledge, no one will. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so when we take communion, we are being reminded of the fact that by faith we accept that our salvation is only through Jesus Christ and what he did for us at the cross. And that's what we're studying in, in Luke, right? Um, so as you peel back the first layer, you take the bread. It's a weird-looking bread. 
but that's because it's unleavened, and it's because it represents the sinless body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which hung on the cross on our behalf. Let's take that together. As you peel back the second plastic there, you reveal the juice which represents, it is symbolic of Jesus' blood that was shed on our behalf, the payment for our sin. Let's take that together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to you for this beautiful morning, for allowing us on this Sunday morning to gather. I thank you for all my brothers and sisters that are an encouragement to me and I'm sure to, to one another. For those joining us online, we are grateful that we have an opportunity to honor you as we lift up our voices and sing these songs that speak of your worthiness and your love and your grace towards us. And as we open up your word and we look at the fact that no flesh can be justified through the works of the law, and it's only by your grace through faith that we can trust in your plan of salvation and in sending your son, Jesus Christ, to take our place at the cross. Paying the debt that we owed. We are forever grateful. We thank you. Help us to grow in that knowledge. Help us to live out those realities in our lives. That we would be a light unto others. Sharing your message of salvation. I thank you. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. All right, beloved. I have an hour and 58 minutes. I love it. You know how happy that makes me over there? I'm guessing that is not correct. All right. Fine, fine. Um, as you know, we are going through the gospel according to Luke. Today will be our third uh, message based on that. The first one was an introduction. The second one was covering verses 5 through 25. Today I want to cover Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. We're going to look at three things. And the letter M kind of stands out here, just uh, hopefully helps you remember. We're going to look at the mother of Jesus Christ our Lord. We're going to look at the miraculous conception. And we're going to look at the Messiah. So three big things, not a lot of time. So we'll get right to it. And again, I would highly encourage you, make sure that as we're going through Luke, you're going through Luke at home. Read Luke. Have, have some Bible studies on your own. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal these truths to you. Don't ever get tired of, of reading Scripture. Don't ever feel like, oh, I've already read Luke. Ten years ago, I read it. <laughs> keep reading. Keep studying. And, and just continue to grow because what Luke is doing is he's telling Theophilus and consequently us the story of salvation, the good news of salvation, the gospel. And he starts right at the beginning. And so here we are. We find ourselves uh, looking at verses 26 through 38. I have a verse that I want to share with you as a key verse to just kind of get us started. And that's 1 Timothy 3.16. 1 Timothy 3.16 says... This is Paul speaking, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. The title of this morning's message is, The Son of God. 
Yeah, we're going to look at the angel coming and talking to Mary. And yeah, we're going to look at different things. But I think the overarching, uh, I believe, doctrine or teaching that we want to look at here is the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. The main point is this. Recognizing Jesus as Lord because he is God in the flesh brings him glory. To recognize that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is God in the flesh, brings him glory. And again, I have to tell you, we've got to have a, a global mindset here. Most people don't believe that. Most people do not believe that Jesus of Nazareth is God in the flesh. If you do, it's only by God's grace, through faith, and through the knowledge of Scripture. And that's why we want to study the Word so that we can be further convinced and convicted that that will transform our lives and we can share that good news to others. So recognizing Jesus as Lord because he's God in the flesh brings him glory. So let me read Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 38 and, uh, and then we'll, we'll spend some time looking at those points that I mentioned to you. If you have a Bible, it's awesome to fall, for you to follow along. It says this. So this is Luke narrating the story, right? So starting in verse 26, it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great... And will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month of her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Super interesting. I mean, amazing. Most of us have probably read this story, are familiar with this story. But really, the angel Gabriel who stands in the presence of God comes to Mary, starting in verse 26, to announce to her these news that the Savior of the world Jesus was to be born through her. Amazing. So we're going to talk about that. And um, we are going to, just kind of as a, as a form of introduction, I want to share with you a while back. Oh, boy, this must have been 15 years ago easily. I was working at the elementary school, and a, and a fellow teacher of mine calls me one day in an evening, maybe like a Friday night, 
Don't usually get calls from him, but he calls me and uh, he says, hey, Mike, so I got some controversy here with my wife. We just finished watching a movie, uh, uh, probably a Life of Jesus type movie. And he says, and we're getting into this argument. She says that Jesus is the son of God. And I say, Jesus has got the son. Which is it? She says, Jesus is the son of God. And I say, Jesus is God the son. Which is it? So which is it? Both is right. Both is right. But there are, we do need to study a little bit and find out what we mean by the Son of God versus God the Son. But I'll say it plainly. When we say Jesus is the Son of God, we are saying Jesus is God the Son. Jesus Christ, born 2,000 years ago through Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, is the very eternal God that we read in John 1.1. 1, 1. And there's, sometimes there's that confusion when some people, sometimes people find that maybe never really thought about that. We think that Jesus kind of started 2,000 years ago, not realizing that he, be God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, became a man 2,000 years ago, stepped into our humanity in a very special way. But he's always existed. He has no beginning and no end. He's God. And so you're right. He's both. And when we say son of God, we're really saying God the son. We're making him equal with God. But we'll talk about that in just a little bit. So you guys passed. Good job. All right. So let's start in verse 26, 26 through verse 30. And let's talk about the mother of Jesus, our Lord, Mary. And I'll start with this. How are we as Christians supposed to view Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, our Lord? You probably have friends, or maybe you grew up, or maybe you're still there, I don't know, where you have a certain belief towards who Mary is and how you not just believe about what you believe about her, but how you maybe even interact with her in a way. Either you or you know people or you come from somewhere. Roman Catholicism, obviously, I think most of us in one way or another kind of come from there. Maybe not all of us. But a lot of us do. I was, I was baptized as an infant. I told you guys that already, right? Um, and, uh, but by God's grace, my dad became a Christian when I was one year old. And so I was blessed to grow up in a Christian home. But my dad was the first one in his family, as far as we can tell, that came out of Catholicism, that became a Christian. And um, if you ever have any questions about that, please see me. And it's never my intention to stand up here and act like, oh, we're better than this, we're better than that. But at times, too, I think it's important for us to share some information that's out there and compare. Not in a judgmental, condemning way, but in a let's find out what the truth of the Bible is. But I know sometimes in a group like this, and maybe people online will hear some things that, that are different from what they've been taught. And I would say... Let's talk about it, and let's get back into Scripture. So how should a Christian view Mary, the mother of Jesus, our Lord? And I would say exactly the way the Bible presents her. Some of you are thinking like, duh, yeah. But you'd be surprised. You would be surprised how many things we believe that aren't necessarily taught in Scripture. And the gospel according to Luke is a great way to find out 
the story of, of course, Jesus Christ, our Lord. But within that story, you find people like Mary who were instrumental where God used in order to bring forth his plan in this plan, his plan in, in here on earth. And so let's talk about her in just a little, for just a little bit. The mother of Jesus, our Lord. Let's look at verses 26 through 30 once again. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And you should know that Nazareth would be, would be uh, thought of as not a very highly favored place. Uh, later on, Nathaniel says, uh, when he meets the Lord, he says, from Nazareth, like nothing good comes out of Nazareth. They would talk smack about Nazareth, all right? And to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, very important, of the house of David. Joseph essentially becomes Jesus' stepdad, right? Okay. Of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So here we have her name. Mary was her name. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Mary was a special individual. She was a virgin. She was young. She was a God-fearing. And later on, we're going to read when, she, when she's quoted here by Luke, we're going to see that she was very well acquainted with Scripture. Bit of a theologian. I like Mary. Now, let me tell you something. As a kid growing up as a Christian and having everybody around me kind of be Catholic, I'll be honest with you. As a kid, sorry, confessing here, I kind of grew this disdain for Mary because I saw other people adoring her and praying to her. And my family members would, you know, ha have a different view than what I did. And, and they kind of felt elevated her in a place that she didn't belong, that Scripture didn't really teach and I started feeling like almost this, this animosity towards Mary. But it was out of ignorance. And it was because I was comparing to what people felt and believed about her rather than me just sticking to Scripture and seeing what the Bible teaches about her. But I got to be honest with you, when I meet people and they, and, and they know I'm a Christian, one of the first things they say is, oh, so you're a Christian. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you don't believe, I don't know if anybody's ever told you this. So you don't believe in the Virgin Mary? I'm like, yeah, I do. No Virgin Mary, no Jesus. Of course I do. But what do I believe about her is where we differ. And I believe what the Bible teaches about Mary, not what a religion or an institution or anybody else says about her. What does the Bible say? And what I'm telling you right now is super valuable because you got to take that and do that with everything that you claim to believe. And again, Luke is writing to Theophilus so that he can be sure of the things that he's been taught. And we want to study Scripture so that we can be sure of the things that we've been taught. And we want to be good students of the Word. So what do you believe about Mary? I believe what the Bible teaches. And when I study what the Bible teaches, I'm then able to compare that to what other religions or institutions or religious organizations teach about her. And it's okay. I'm able to say, okay, I, I hear what you're teaching about her, but I don't see that in Scripture. And it's not, hey, while well, you say this, but my pastor says that, that's not what you want to do. You want to say, okay, you teach this, but look, look at what the Bible teaches. It's different from what you're saying. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to stick with the Word. What the Bible teaches is what I'm going to believe and what I'm going to live by and what I'm going to teach. And so 
You know, we're all Theophilus here. Luke is writing to us, and he's telling us here some, some information about Mary. And what we are to believe about her and anybody else in Scripture is what the Bible says. No more and no less. But it is our privilege to be students of the Word. And not let anyone tell you what to believe. All right. So what do we see about her? Uh, outstanding young woman. The Lord chose her. Um, she was betrothed. She had, she had her plans. She had her life kind of planned out. And if, if you received last night's newsletter, you wrote some, you read, and you, you read what, what Kathy wrote, Martinez, uh, was a great piece, and it talks about this, and, and it talks about, it compa- and I mentioned this a little bit, it, comparing Zachariah's uh, reaction to Gabriel coming onto him and, 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 and telling him this, this information, he was troubled, he was scared, Mary wasn't, and, and to me, I find it funny that Gabriel would even say, don't be scared. And she was probably like, I'm not scared. Because it doesn't say anywhere that she was scared or troubled or afraid. But Gabriel was probably used to having people get scared when he showed up as an angel with information from God. But anyway, that's, that's me reading into the text a little bit here. So Mary, outstanding individual, not just here, not just because she was chosen, but you see how she raised Jesus. And there's not a whole lot of information about her, but there's enough to understand that she was an a outstanding woman. But I will tell you this, nowhere in Scripture are we taught to pray to her. Nowhere in Scripture are we taught or told to adore her. Only Jesus. And if you really read this section, you'll see how it's all about God. God initiated his plan. God chose people. It's all God's doing. He takes all the glory. And within his purposes and his plans, we find ourselves in there. Mary found herself in there. And you look at her reaction. We don't have time to look at everything. But you look at her reaction. She says, the maid servant of the Lord, do with me whatever you want. She understood her place. And it's a good place. All of us are instruments of God when we put ourselves in his hands. And he can do great things. But ultimately, he is the one with the plan, and he is the one that executes that plan. And he's pleased, for some reason, to use us and include us in those plans. So what do you believe about Mary? Believe what the Bible says about her. And read it carefully. And compare it. Don't be afraid to compare. Hey, my buddy is, belongs to this religion. Let me find out what that religion teaches about Mary or about Jesus or about anybody else. Let me see what they teach, and let me look at Scripture. And if I have questions, let me call Keith. All right? But that's, that's really, sincerely, as I stand here, that's what I'm hoping that we all go towards, that we become responsible for the studying of God's Word. And we're here to help you with that, encourage you. So the mother of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We should believe about her, what the Bible teaches and uh, nothing more, nothing less. I'll share this verse with you in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Because by now you're becoming, you know, students and, and experts of Luke. Now you know that Luke, the doctor, who's the author of the gospel according to Luke, also wrote Acts. And in Acts 1.14, Luke tells us a little bit something about Mary. And I think it gives us some great insight here. We won't have time to really develop it, but take this one for homework. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, the same one that wrote the gospel according to Luke, writes Acts, and he says, these, 
Speaking of the 120 people that were in the upper room, shortly after the Lord's ascension, verse 14 says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. There she was. At the beginning, at the early stages of the beginning of the church, there she was, part of that initial group, a believer that the son that she bore by power of the Holy Spirit was in fact the son of God or God in the flesh, her redeemer, her savior, and she was a Christian along with those first 120 believers in the upper room. For some of you, you're still in shock that it says the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. You know what the Bible teaches about Mary? She was a virgin when she conceived by power of the Holy Spirit and gave birth to Jesus, God in the flesh. But she had children after that with Joseph. Very normal thing to do. She was betrothed to Joseph. And in Matthew, it says that she didn't know her. She, he was not intimate with her until she had her firstborn son, Jesus. She was a virgin up until she gave birth to our Lord Jesus Christ. And then she went about her normal life with the exception that she was now raising the Son of God. But maybe some of us were taught differently, right? I want you to be students of the Word, and I don't want us to be afraid of tackling some of these issues. We want to be students of the Word, and we want to be truth seekers. And if you ever have any questions, you know, that's what we're here for. So that's the mother of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We'll be, we'll be talking more about her later on in, in this, even in this chapter. Let me talk a little bit about the miraculous conception. Luke chapter 1, verses 31, 34, and 38. The miraculous conception has to do with the fact that a virgin who had never been intimate with a man found herself pregnant by power of the Holy Spirit. And in her womb, she found now a fetus placed there. By power of the Holy Spirit. Mike, but I want details. Oh, you take that up with the Lord later. That's as far as I can take it. That's, that's what the Bible says here. So let me read to you verse uh, Luke 131. The first section says, And behold, this is Gabriel speaking to Mary. You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And then we jump to verse 34, and it says, Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And no time does she show disbelief. She's awesome. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And then he reminds her, Now Elizabeth, your relative has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month of her who was called barren. And he reminds her, for with God nothing will be impossible. And look at her reaction. The, then Mary said, behold, she says, look at me, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. Amazing, humble, obedient, 
willing to put all her life aside practically and all her plans, exposing herself to even being stoned to death because now she was betrothed, engaged to Joseph, and all of a sudden she's now pregnant. So everybody in town was saying, ¿Qué pasó? Ah, for those of you that uh, don't speak English, what happened? And it was a really big deal. Either Joseph messed up there or they both messed up or what? And you remember Joseph was thinking even about leaving her secretly, being a just man, but God intervened. So she was really putting herself in a very precarious position. But she was willing to do that, beloved, and it's such an application for us, right? When God calls us to do something, he's probably not going to call you onto more comfort and ease. He's going to call you to do something important. It's going to require for you to say, not my will, but yours. Look here, the servant of the Lord. Do with me whatever you want. Awesome. So this miraculous conception, different from the immaculate conception that maybe some of us were taught. And I'm just going to throw it out there, leave it for homework. That's your second piece of homework. Different from the, immac- the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church of the immaculate conception. Very different. I would encourage you to look that up and compare it to Scripture and see what you find. I don't have time to develop that. But needless to say, then, Jesus, by default, because of that fact, because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, has no human father, therefore has no fallen or tainted human nature. He's born perfect. And though he's tempted in all ways, he never sinned. You and I, descendants of Adam, not by work of the Holy Spirit, but by our human dads, we inherit that fallen human nature, and therefore we are born in sin. And nobody has to teach you to be selfish. Nobody has to teach you to lie. Kids are just awesome. They're such liars. Aren't they? All the parents are laughing because they know it's true. And that's exactly how we were. I mean, nobody had to teach you to lie. Did you do that? No. Did you eat that cookie? No, like I didn't. Jesus was different in that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, no human dad, God in the flesh, not tainted with sin, and uh, unlike us, unlike us. Joseph becomes his stepdad. And just kind of keep these things in mind, because as we keep reading, all these things are going to overlap with other things that we're going to study. I'll, sh- I'll share with you Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. This was written... Isaiah 7:14 was written over 700 years before Christ our Lord was born and Luke is talking to us about the fulfillment of the prophecy from 700 years before that. So Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I thought it was Jesus. Well, when it talks about name, it talks about his character and what he's doing. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus is God with us. And Jesus means Savior of the world. So this is, this, is prophecy, this is a prophecy about Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's also about Mary, the fact that a virgin will conceive. Women do not conceive. Men carry the seed. So for a virgin to find herself pregnant without the intervention of a male... Is problematic or it's impossible, except in this case because God intervenes and we have a miraculous conception. 
Just for the record, John 5:58, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to um, some religious leaders who don't believe who he claims to be, who question his authority. And in John 5:58, Jesus says to them, "Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am." Well, maybe to us it doesn't seem like a big deal, but the Lord Jesus Christ saying that to religious leaders is really what got him crucified because he was equating himself with God. He was claiming deity. He was saying, you know that, you know the, the one that spoke to Moses and asked Moses during that burning bush incident to take off his sandals and to come in because he's stepping on holy ground. And, and when Moses says, who, who do I tell the Pharaoh that, that sent me? He says, I am sent you. Tell him I am sent you. He is the great I am. Who is the I am that spoke to Moses 1,400 years before Christ was born? It was our Lord Jesus Christ. What I'm saying is, and what Jesus is saying is that Jesus did not begin to exist 2,000 years ago when he was born through Mary. Jesus is the eternal God. And he says before Abraham was. Abraham lived 2,000 years before Christ was born. So he says to them, before Abraham was, I am. And you compare that with John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. All things were made through Him. And then verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and He dwelt among us. The Word is the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal God. But what happened 2,000 years ago is that that God became flesh and dwelt among us. So we talked about the mother of Jesus. We looked at the miraculous conception. Let me finish off here by talking about the Messiah. The Messiah is the Hebrew equivalent of Christ in Greek. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Messiah was the long-awaited redeemer of Israel. They thought it was going to be a military leader. But it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he was born, we're going to read that later, he came humbly when he comes again, he's not going to come back humbly. We'll say that. We'll talk about that later. So the Messiah, let's, let's talk about, uh, let's read here in Luke chapter thir- 1, verses 31, starting in verse, well, starting verse 31 through 35. Let's just kind of get a little, let me read that again. Luke 1, 31 says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, which means God the Savior. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. I'm going to explain that a little bit. Let me just finish reading. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, meaning all of Israel, forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the, well, we, we already read that. Um, I'll, I'll read through verse 35. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And then it says the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. So Jesus is the son of God. That baby that was promised to Mary, Mary was going to carry in her womb for nine months the Son of God. I mean, I can't even imagine. I know when we're pregnant with our three babies, you know, like the idea that there's a little life in there. Well, her little life in there was like God in the flesh. 
It's amazing. So the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, the, the Redeemer of Israel. And keep in mind, Luke is telling us the story from the beginning, starting with the forerunner, which is John, whose parents were Elizabeth and, and Zacharias. But right before that, there was at least 400 years of silence. So this is like a really big deal. When he says, I'm going to start things from the beginning, this is, the, there's all these prophecies going all the way back to Adam and Eve. And certainly with Abraham, and then with David, and throughout the prophets, and during the kingdoms, the, the different kings. And there's all these prophecies about the coming Messiah. And after thousands of years of prophecies, here he is. Here's Gabriel being sent by God to tell Mary, you are going to be the mother of the Savior of the world. It's amazing. Let me read a couple of verses to you. This, this part about Gabriel saying that God is going to give Jesus the kingdom of his father David. Um, both Mary and Joseph are descendants of David. And back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, it says, this is, this is Nathan talking to David after David decides, I want to build God a house. And, and this is essentially God talking to David. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That's God's promise to the nation of Israel, to David, that through David, Israel's second king, his kingdom will last forever. That is only fulfilled through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the eternal king, not just of Israel, but of humanity and of us Christians. Philippians 2, 6 through 8, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, who being in the nature, in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Here Paul is giving us a theology behind Christ's incarnation. He says he was God and he humbled himself. He existed, but he humbled himself and came to us as a man. He was already there. A prop. So this whole thing, the message, the Son of God, very important for us to understand that. Very important for us to understand. And there's a ton of application implications. When we have a proper, a biblical understanding of who Jesus is, there's, a, there's an outcome to that. We don't come here just to say like, oh, that was a great speech. And I know nobody says that, but that was a great speech about Jesus being the Son of God. Great. Oh, I'll see what he talks about next week. It's not about that. Given that Jesus is the Son of God, how are we then to live? And a biblical understanding of who Jesus is yields, should yield in us naturally holy living. This reverence about who we are fruitful living if jesus is god and he is my savior and he lives in me he has a mission for me i need to live a life that is fruitful and a joyful living holy fruitful and joyful living is a result of a proper understanding of who jesus is if jesus is your lord and savior jesus is god in the flesh he lives in us it is no longer i who live but christ lives in me paul says in galatians 2 20 there's all these implications 
that are to come as a result of the fact of we understand that Jesus is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. And he lives in me and he reigns in me. And he will reign forevermore. And within his plan, we find ourselves here. Glory to God. I hope you continue to read Luke. Um, and, um, you know, we're going to pick up in verse 39. And I'm not sure how far we're going to get to, but uh, just continue reading. All right? Make sure you sign up for growth groups where you could ask all these questions. You can go to a growth group this week or next week and say, like, hey, can you talk to you a little bit more about that immaculate conception concept and, uh, you know, how exactly did this happen? And, you know, what do we think about this and that? The growth group leaders would love having those types of conversations with you. All right? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we're so grateful to you for allowing us this time to just meditate in your words, to see what's there. How you, Holy Spirit, used Luke to, to write this narrative, and there's so much in there, but we pray that you would lead us into the things that, that we need to, to learn, to understand, and to live by. Lord Jesus, God in the flesh, how you humbled yourself and were willing to be one of us. And not just that, but made yourself a servant of all of us and was willing to go to the cross on our behalf. It's amazing. You gave up your life for us, Father. Help us to live our lives for you. We ask that you would dismiss us with your blessing. I thank you for everybody who's here. I ask in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our eternal Lord and Savior. Amen. God bless you, beloved. We are dismissed.